0: The last time uh, we gathered together to talk about the beloved community, we talked about your and my identity, not as people who are defined by what we do, or by what we possess, or by what others say about us, or by what has happened to us. That is not how we are defined. Rather, we are defined by the God who calls you and names you as the beloved. You are the beloved sons and daughters of God. For many of us, maybe, that notion that our identity is wrapped up in that name, the name that God gave us first, that God wrote first, that God chose first for us, we could really wrestle with that for a long time. We could wrestle with that for a whole semester, even a whole school year. And some people in the room may even wrestle with that for their entire lives. We could stay there. We could. And so if that is you this morning, if if you're still sort of sitting in that idea, still wrestling with who you are and your identity as God has named you, I want to pull up a chair next to you. I want to sit at a table with you, and I want to talk to you about that. In our house, we have in our dining room a big, large, round table. And it's no accident. We did that on purpose, because when we invite people to come in and share a meal with us, I want to see everyone's face around the table, right? When you're sitting at a long, rectangular table, it's hard to have conversation with the person down there. You can't even look at them in the eye. And so with some intention, we bought a big round table for our dining room so that while we're sitting there, while I have a chair pulled up to it, I can see everyone sitting. I can hear everyone around the table. So if that's you this morning, if you're still struggling or wrestling with your identity, I want to pull up a chair around the round table. We'll use that metaphor uh, as we gather together and go on and, and talk about and discover Some of the marks of the beloved community. It's one thing to live as the beloved child of God. It's something else though, isn't it? To live together as the beloved community. There's something that ought to grow out of our identity there. Something that marks us, that shapes us and forges us together. We aren't just isolated, loved people of God, right? We do this together. We are a community of people who live in that knowledge. So our scripture for today comes out of the book of John in chapter 2. Through the rest of these sermons, we'll look at the, the book of John. We'll, we'll take our time going through it. John describes himself, perhaps, this is a point of argument, as the beloved disciple. And so I think it's appropriate for us, as we talk about this conversation, to go to the one who identifies himself as such. While John is writing the book, he is in the midst of a community in Ephesus, and he's pastoring a community of people who identify themselves as beloved children. And he's writing this book for them and for us. As with any good writer, Uh, John draws us in because his is a first-hand account. And the way that he writes, he writes with the details that only a person who was there, who saw it with his own eyes, can share. So in in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're reading about the miracle, the first sign. And it takes place in Cana at a wedding. Jesus is with his disciples that he has just chosen in the, in the prior chapter, in chapter 1, in verse 35. He has called these 12 men to live with him in beloved community. And before we get to the wedding, though, we need to pay attention to just one detail there in chapter 1. In verse 42, when he calls the disciple Simon. And when he meets Simon, when he sees him face to face for the very first time, He takes a minute and he pauses, the scripture tells us. And he looks at John, this one who will become a close friend to him. And he says to him, you are Simon. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you will be Peter. God names us. We are his beloved. That is who we are. But he does not leave us there. Along with Peter, we are also moving toward a deeper understanding of who we are becoming. And as we live in a reconciled relationship with God and with each other, God knows who we are, and he also knows who we are becoming. So let me read for you John chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, Hey, they don't have any wine. What is this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus said, My hour has not yet come. I love Mary's response. She's just been reprimanded a little, right? Right? And her response is, she goes to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. She knows, she has faith that Jesus is going to do what she's asked. And so now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. And when the chief servant tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. So he called the groom, and he told him, Hey, everyone sets out the best wine first. And then after people have drunk freely, then they bring out the inferior wine. But you have kept the fine wine, until now. Jesus performed the first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we pray that your spirit would come and would affect a change in us this morning for a few minutes as we consider this mark of the beloved community who has been reconciled, to you. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight this morning. Amen. The first mark that I want to talk about with us today of the beloved community is that we are a community of reconciliation. About five years ago, we were living in Kansas, and uh, we had a flat screen TV up Uh, on the wall above our fireplace and came home one day, pressed the remote control, nothing. It was dead, it wasn't working. And so we pulled it off the wall, set it down. And if you know Larry, Larry's here today. I totally scored when I met this man and got him to marry me. (laughs) I did, I did. But Larry's a busy guy. He was at that point traveling around the world dealing with humanitarian crises. And he's like, You know, the best way to get this thing fixed is just to call the Geek Squad at Best Buy. And I agreed, we'll just call the Geek Squad. That'll be easier for, for both of us, right, Larry? <laughs> and so called the Geek Squad. You know how it works you set up an appointment. They give you a call, right, the day of. They're going to let you know that someone's coming out. And so I plan to stay at home that day. The phone rings. Pick up the phone. Hello? This is the Geek Squad. Okay, this is Lynn. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, "I'm, I'm coming to your house. I'll be there very soon. Okay, I'll be waiting for you. Hang up the phone. Now, I love meeting people from other places, countries, cultures, and I could tell that this guy was not from the Midwest, Um, and I couldn't wait till he showed up at the door. A few minutes later, the doorbell rings. I open the door, and there standing in front of me is a man in his mid-50s, balding, with a jumpsuit on from Best Buy that says Geek Squad on one side, and then on this shoulder right here, it says, Vladimir. And I, I was ready. I couldn't wait. <laughs> so, so I opened the door, and he probably thought I was crazy. I was like, hi. And he goes, I am here from the Geek Squad. And I said, come in, Vladimir. I'm so excited you're here. And I said, Vladimir, where are you from? Well, I'm from Russia. I wish he had said Mother Russia. It would have made the story better. <laughs> I'm from Mother Russia. But he didn't. I'm from Russia. Russia! I say, how long have you lived here, Vladimir? Well, I've been here for 15 years now. Me and my family. I said, wow, OK, you have a family. How many kids do you have? Well, I have three grandchildren. None of them live with us anymore. But we are your neighbor. Really? Yes, I live just right over here, right across the street. I said, wow, Vladimir, I I wish I had met you before this point. (laughs) And so he says, well, I need to fix something. I said, that's right. Okay, let's go over. And so we walk over to the TV, and we had already flipped it over. And so he sits down, and he's looking at it. And I didn't want to hover over him, even though I was completely enthralled in who he was. And so I, you know, went over to the kitchen, and I'm, you know, busying myself. And so then Vladimir says, "Uh, please, come over here. I got to show you something. So I lean down. I don't know what I'm looking at. This is why you call the geek squad. And so I I lean down. He goes, look at this one right here, this piece. And so I look, and it's like this little tube and um he says, Do you see it? I said, Yes, I, I don't know what I'm looking at, but I see it, Vladimir. He says, Do you see what happened to it? It blew up. <laughs> I he said I I, I started to laugh, sorta, of, because I thought maybe I felt like I was in a scene from Despicable Me, right? <laughs> I he's like you don't hear that and so I said, yeah, okay it blew up and he goes bud don't you worry because i have the perfect beats for you <laughs> okay because it's right in my vehicle i'm going to go get it and i'll be right back so he leaves i'm on my cell phone i'm like somebody like i I'm in the middle of of some kind of scenario from out of this world with this Russian man, Vladimir. And I can't stop talking in the accent. (laughs) And and so he comes back in. He brings in a new fuse. He plugs it back in. We we flip the TV over. We use the remote control. We turn it on, and voila, there it works. And Vladimir and I are like, yes, it worked. We love this. Yeah. So uh, then Vladimir turns and says to me, Now, this was very easy to fix. Are you married? (laughs) Again, I love this guy. I said, "Yes, I'm married, but Larry's not very handy. (laughs) Uh, He's amazing in so many ways. He's, and I said he's, he's not very handy. And Vladimir says, Well, you know what? Before you married him, you should have looked at his hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Point noted. Thanks, to Vladimir. Vladimir gathered up all of his things and he left. The TV worked. A few weeks later, the dishwasher broke. We called the Geek Squad who shows up at my door, it's Vladimir. I open the door, I look at Vladimir, I said, Vladimir! He kind of looks, looks down the neighborhood, he goes, do I know you? I said, yeah. I said, Vladimir, you were just here a few weeks ago, you fixed my TV. He goes, oh, that's right, your husband's not very handy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Vladimir, he has a lot to teach us today about reconciliation as we walk through John 2 and discover what Jesus is going to teach us about being a community of reconciliation. Bearing the marks of reconciliation, it's not just a one-step process. It's not just a one-off event. The first step in becoming a community of reconciliation requires that first we spend some time together, right? Mary, here in chapter 2, she is a part of this community. When we open up the chapter, she is there already. She must have some kind of familial connection with the people in the wedding. Not only her, but Jesus is there. And we know that at least one of the disciples, Nathaniel, is from Cana. So somehow, these people, they have spent some time together. Vladimir and I... While it was brief, we spent some time together when he first arrived. We talked about our families and how we got to this point where we were encountering each other. If we are going to bear the mark of being a community of reconciliation, we're going to need to spend some time together. Reconciliation doesn't take place with just mere acquaintances. right? The word itself means brought together again. It infers that at some point we were already together and something has broken apart that relationship. Some crisis has occurred that leaves us in need of being reconciled. That brings us to the second step and the next verse in this chapter. The second step in becoming a community of reconciliation is that we are broken and we must lament our brokenness together. This happens when Mary sees that the wine has run out, right? And she goes to the one who can make it right. And she declares the brokenness of the situation, their wine has run out. Her interaction with Jesus is interesting for us, isn't it? She is concerned about the embarrassment for this family, which may be her very own family. She's worried about their embarrassment in this honor-shame culture, so much so that she risks, she takes the risk of admitting the brokenness, risking even to Jesus, who maybe she's overstepping her boundaries and asking him, asking for a favor of Jesus. But she says it's, it's worth the risk. For them. For this relationship for us, for living as a beloved community that is reconciled, it will take a risk. It will demand that we, as a community, are willing to admit our brokenness together and that our only path forward is to make things right. Vladimir and I experienced the crisis together and he declared it. It blew up, right? The third step in becoming a community of reconciliation is that we have a shared past. Now, I think this is interesting. The person in the scripture who does this for us is the chief servant sitting there at the head of the table. He pulls the groom aside, right? And he says, hey, the way that we've always done it, you bring out the best wine first. I remember how the TV worked before Vladimir showed up. But the truth is, there may have been some kind of malfunction that existed there before it ever broke. The miracle that has already taken place, but at this moment we begin to see what Jesus is going to teach his disciples and teach us, that things as they are or things as they have been, are not necessarily the way that they ought to be. Your name is Simon. You will be Peter. The shared past that we have as a beloved community includes our shared sufferings together. This is part of the journey in becoming or living as a beloved community that we remember, even our difficult or shared past that remember, we remember the broken parts. We don't do that in isolation. We do it together. Fourth, we hope together. Having looked back at the way things have always been done, the chief servant now declares to the groom, and, and John whispers it to us, but perhaps this is the way it ought to be. Perhaps you ought to bring out the fine wine last. Vladimir shared it with me. It blew up! but don't worry, I have the part, right? He said it the way things ought to be. He knew the way it ought to have been, and he knew how to get there, even when I could not see it at that point. Lastly, the mark of a beloved community that lives in reconciliation celebrates that together. The writer at the very end of this section of Scripture shares Jesus performed his first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory and his disciples believed him. It was this one variable in the situation, in the story, the presence of Jesus at the wedding. That is what affected the change. Vladimir and I turned on the TV. We celebrated that it was made right. It was brought together again the way it ought to have been. Reconciliation, it involves spending some time together. It involves lamenting our brokenness and declaring it. It involves remembering our shared past and declaring our hope that lays out in front of us the way things ought to be. And it also involves celebrating together when reconciliation happens. The implication of John 2 is that even... As the beloved sons and daughters, even as those called by God and named by God, the fact remains that we have been separated from God. And the work of reconciliation is first and foremost for you and I to be reconciled to God. To declare the way things are and then also to proclaim what they ought to be in our own lives. The changing of water into wine, it's a metaphor, and it declares the way things are, the way of life as you know it, the best wine first, the cheap wine second, that is all about to change. The water into wine declares that life as it is has not been life as it ought to be. And the variable, the thing that changes the situation is the presence of Jesus at the wedding. His presence at the wedding changes what might have been for this family, a lasting shame that they would have carried with them. But he points to the way things as it ought to be. Bring on the best wine now. And the orthodox way of living for these Jewish families is not turned upside down. Sometimes we describe the kingdom of God that way. But the one who has his head on straight is Jesus the ones who have been turned upside down, the people that have switched the price tags, well, that's us, right? And Jesus comes in, and he makes sense out of nonsense. He turns things right side up. He declares the way things ought to be. In the fray of our brokenness, we don't always see things clearly. Our broken world understands poverty as lack of means, lack of commodity, when in reality real brokenness, especially within the church, is a lack of conscience, a lack of conviction, a lack of compassion, an absence, a silence of voices crying out for reconciliation to take place. Reconciliation needs a body to inhabit. Reconciliation is Mary telling Jesus, there is no more wine. It is the feet of college students standing in the place of Michael Brown's death. It is the cry of lament that we will share this week together that prays over devastation and death in Puerto Rico and Las Vegas. Reconciliation inhabits you and me as we move out of a place where we know God's love in the most profound ways, in the person of Jesus. Living as a beloved community that is reconciled is a long journey. There is an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together the road to reconciliation of us bearing this mark as a beloved community, it is a long road. We have a long way to go in getting there, so let's go it together, amen. Come, sister.
1: Thank you, Lynn, for this stimulating message and one th- thought that I had as I closed this session is that sometimes when the Scripture calls us to a certain way of living, certain way of being, it just seems impossible. How can we do that? Do I have the strength? And so I pray today that we will all realize that God gives us what we needs what we need to be obedient to Him. And so, would you receive this benediction today? Uh, as a promise from God and as a blessing. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.